Before we get to the official intro, I have a quick announcement. Prehistory will now be bi-weekly. I learned a few lessons the hard way in starting this podcast, and to be honest, they were obvious lessons, but to make sure I have more time to do reading on the source materials and to give you good quality history stories and to not be burnt out, I'm going to need to space these episodes out more. I'm living week to week right now, and that's not ideal. Sorry about the confusion, but hey, if you're subscribed, then I will pop up into your podcast feed and you won't have to remember to check manually. Hint, hint. There might also be a fun new addition to the podcast on the way, but I'm not ready to announce that yet. It's too early. I'm trying to get into the right groove of this, so I ask and thank you for your patience. Now back to our regular scheduled programming. Hi, welcome to Prehistory. Today we look at the forewalkers of celebrity black athletes who originally came from the Caribbean, Fred Hart and Philip Granville, as well as the other people of color who risked their lives to race in the Bunyan Derby. Let's go. During the 1870s to 1880s after the Civil War, there was a new sport craze sweeping across the American nation to entertain bored city dwellers. Was it baseball? American football? Nope, not yet. The nation was gripped by competitive walking. Yes, pedestrianism was in swing. Huge crowds watched athletes walk 600 miles for days. They walked almost 24 hours a day except for a quick pit stop to take a three hour nap. Don't think this was some kind of boring affair either. There would be celebrities, bands, and snack vendors, no less exciting than our current day league events. Granted, we have race walking today, and it's an Olympic sport, and I give those athletes all the credit. It's no small feat. I can barely take a brisk walk around the park without being winded. And this is coming from someone who used to swim competitively in high school to help with her asthma. But I can't imagine, cannot imagine, watching the same set of people walking for a week. Many matches took place in Madison Square Garden in New York. And of course, being a hit sport meant having star athletes like Edward Payson Weston, who was a bookseller. He gained fame after making a bet with his friend that Lincoln would lose a presidential election, which he lost, of course. And the penalty was to walk from Boston to Washington in 10 days in winter to see the inauguration. When Weston completed the challenge within the time frame, it generated a lot of attention. After the war, Weston capitalized on his fame to continue walking. Spectators paid 10 cents to watch him walk in circles for a day. Weston was all about entertaining his audience. He wore flashy outfits and carried a cane. His biggest competitor was Dan O'Leary, an Irish immigrant from Chicago. He seemed to be a methodical kind of guy, completely opposite in personality from Weston, walking army straight. He took the competition seriously and for a time held the record for the six-day walking marathon. Now, Dan O'Leary had a protege, Frank Hart, born Fred Hitchborn, a Haitian who in the 1870s worked as a grocery store clerk in Boston. Frank competed in local races 
to earn extra money and caught Dan's eye. Considering that the country had just fought a terrible war over the right to own people as property, the fact that O'Leary decided to finance and promote Hart's career was shocking. He earned the name Black Dan from his association with Frank. On April 10th, 1880, a crowd gathered to watch 22-year-old Frank Hart and 17 other pro-pedestrians compete in a race. Two others were black, but Frank was the celebrity the people were excited to see. He won, walking a total of 565 miles. Frank raced at an average pace of 12 minutes per mile, or 1.6 kilometers for our metric system users, and William Pegram, another black man from Boston, finished second with 548 miles. Frank earned the $17,000 in prize money, worth nearly 30 years of wages at the time. Yep, you heard that right, 30. A good annual wage in the US at the time was approximately less than $600. The Cleveland Gazette estimated that Hart earned roughly $100,000 from six-day pedestrian races. But pedestrianism seemed to be a fad. Baseball became America's darling at the end of the century. Hart later joined the Chicago Negro Baseball League, but there was little information gathered on them during those days, as you can imagine. White players weren't paid much, and black players even less. Like many other star athletes, Hart seemed to live large and had gone through most of his little fortune. He reportedly lived off the charity of his friends and died of tuberculosis at age 50 in 1908. But he did leave a legacy for the black community to look up to and would serve as a hero and forerunner of future race walkers. The Bunyan Derby, held in 1928, was the first foot race across America. Philip Granville, a Jamaican-born Canadian tailor, and other black runners like Eddie Gardner, Sammy Robinson, and Toby Joseph Cotton Jr. risked their lives as the Los Angeles to New York City route took them across parts of the segregated South. Granville already had quite a list of accomplishments under his belt. He had already won several walking competitions in Canada and 9 out of 10 events in England that earned him an audience with the king. Of course, such a long walk across deserts and harsh terrains in the high heat of summer was dangerous for all runners, but the participants of color also had to deal with blatant racism. In Texas, the town people of Amarillo thought Philip Granville a novelty. Crowds liked to listen to the light-skinned Jamaican-born fellow speak in the king's English, but didn't spare him or any of the other Negroes from being forced to sleep on the floors of post offices or jailhouses because hotels wouldn't take them in. In McLean, Texas, a white crowd was appalled that Eddie Gardner's trainer owned a large touring car a luxury many local whites couldn't afford. They threatened to burn it, claiming that blacks had no business racing against whites. The trainer told them defiantly that we are out to win this race. He's a very brave man. Though he had been born in Louisiana, he had spent his adult life in Seattle, where racism was more subtle. When he saw hundreds of black children without access to basic education, he called it the most pitiable thing he had ever seen on this trip and was even more convinced that Eddie Gardner's race was worth the risk to give hope to his southern brothers and sisters. 
After his experience with Jim Crow segregation, Granville described himself as Jamaican Indian to dissociate himself from the other black runners, but the black press considered him a race man, or one of us, fighting for the betterment of black people either way, and tracked his progress across the country. He did change his tune a little later, perhaps once a little time has, had passed after they left the deep south and he could recover a little from that awful experience and he started to hang out with his people again. Black communities in Oklahoma helped the black runners along the way, providing them with money, meals, and a clean bed. They were also supported by some of the white runners who they had bonded with during the long journey. At the end of the 84-day race, three of the top 10 runners were people of color. The first prize winner of $25,000 was Andy Payne, a part Cherokee Indian from Oklahoma. Philip Granville won third prize and $5,000, and Eddie Gardner, who finished eighth, earned a tidy $1,000. The other black runners finished in the top 50. Did I mention this was a race of 199 men? About half weren't even able to finish. The few final moments of Grilly of the few final moment of Philip Gardner in the reference book I'm using mentioned that he had a dispute with his trainer in splitting the prize money. The mayor of Hamilton, Ontario settled it, splitting it 60-40, as was the original terms of the agreement, plus $150 for the trainer's expenses. And of course, some black Americans were offended by Philip trying to pass as another race after the scary incident in the South. One black newspaper defended his decision saying, why should a person with more white blood than colored be forced to call himself part of a race which only a chump would deny is the most despised race in America? Go ahead and choose your own companions, Mr. Granville. We are only interested in your work as a runner. And if you do well there, it will give others inspiration. As always, thank you for listening. If you know someone who likes history, please share this with them. Leave a review on iTunes and subscribe on the platform that you listen to this on. And remember, this podcast will now be bi-weekly.